former occultists, almost all of the ones I interviewed, which is a small sample population, but I pulled from a lot of different uh, references of people who were sending these people to me. They gravitated to the traditional Latin mass. They gravitated to the traditional Roman ritual, to all the traditions, Ember days, processions, sacramentals. They love it. They want it. They want a rich spiritual life. And that's what the traditional church provides. Hey, my friends, do you ever wonder what's going on in the Vatican? Remember years ago, we had the light show on the Vatican, and there was all sorts of weird occult-type images. Remember, too, the Pachamama ceremony? What was all that? First, we were told it was statues just of Mary and Elizabeth, and then we found out later, no, it's Pachamama. And there's some weird kind of occult thing going on, because remember, they had heads bowed to the ground adoring this thing, whatever it was. It was processed on a canoe, believe it or not, into St. Peter's Basilica. So all sorts of strange stuff. But then remember when the Pope came to Canada, he was doing that thing with the shaman blowing a bone whistle and he had his hand on his chest, eyes closed, as did the other cardinals who were there. And then he, the shaman, that is, prayed to the Western grandmother to open the circle of spirits to have them come and join there. What is all of this stuff? And why is it in the Catholic Church or trying to be put into the Catholic Church? We're going to speak with someone today who has just written a book on the occult. And I thought that would be a very good person to ask all of these strange questions. This is the John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. You know that here on LifeSite, we love to tell amazing stories. There are a few so heroic and amazing as the story we're about to tell you that's coming soon. You got to watch this. When I was in seminary, I was reading a book by Henry Nouwen. He talked about a nuclear man, you know, and people who grew up in the 1980s were kind of formed by that immediate and constant threat of nuclear annihilation. My generation has grown up, you know, under the specter of priestly sexual abuse. What say you, Mr. Poor Person? Is the defendant guilty or not guilty? I think that for many of us, that has also been all-encompassing. You know, I mean, I entered the seminary in January of 2004, and it's basically been there for me from in the beginning. One priest's sacrifice for many priestly sins. The story of Father John Hollowell. Coming soon from LifeSite News. Charles Franny, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So you've just released this book called The Danger of the Occult. Maybe you can tell us, Charles, first of all, what is the occult anyway, and uh, what significance does it have to today? Sure. Yeah, this is um, the book, uh, The Rise of the Occult, is a sequel to Slaying Dragons. I, I kind of spin it as Slaying Dragons 2. Um, but so the, the occult is something that came up in my research for Slaying Dragons, which was a compilation of the teachings of modern exorcists in the context of church teaching and historical teachings on uh, diabolical issues. So the occult is a term that means hidden, secret, concealed, um, kind of in the shadows. And it's become, it's not necessarily a bad term in itself. It's just a Latin word. 
But now it's been used, and I used it in my book, um, to label all of these kind of um, spiritually fringy, uh, secret esoteric rituals, new age concepts, uh, kind of do-it-yourself religious movements that are emerging and are tapping into diabolical powers or mysterious, fantastic uh, energies that dwell, supposedly dwell, you know, in nature, like you were talking about in the intro with these uh, indigenous religious religious rituals, such as mm -hmm. sage. Sage smudging is a big thing we can talk about. So the occult is basically seeking hidden powers, uh, powers that dwell in the darkness that are only accessible through secret rituals, unapproved rituals, often involving sin, sacrifice, um, unsavory behaviors, and people that you're associating with, and some things that just don't make any sense, just rituals that are contrived by man, obviously, to try to conjure powers to yourself. And the ultimate goal of the occult, all forms, is one of the things I saw, is to become a god. And it's very much a counterfeit of the true faith, which is why its presence among members of the church is extremely alarming. Okay, so basically considering that there are no powers outside of the god the angelic powers and then the demonic powers there's other than that there's just the power of man we're talking accessing really if there's accessing anything this way it's demonic powers is that right correct correct some things it it seems just like it's silly you know one person one of former former occultists that i talked to said being in the occult takes you outside of reason into a realm of fantasy where you think you're doing all these things and it's really just a big show. So the, de the demons don't always respond to occultists. Often they do because by practicing the occult, you're breaking the first commandment. So you're opening mm -hmm. yourself up to diabol strong diabolical influence. So some things is just silly. But even if you're seeking to, to, to pull energy from the ground or from crystals, you're opening yourself up to a demon hiding himself as this energy and giving you, presenting himself to you as energy or as a mysterious thing that came with the energy. So even if it's just silly, it's still very diabolically dangerous. So a lot of us have heard in the past about Ouija boards, and I think there's a good part of the population that thinks, what does it hurt? It's not, that's not really that bad. It's really nothing. It's a game. It's toys for kids. What is it really? Yeah, the Ouija board. Uh, one thing that I learned about the Ouija board is that um, a lot of witches, I don't know, probably not all because there's no uniformity among their doctrine, but a lot of witches won't go near the Ouija board because they see it as, as dangerous. It, it taps into a demon, to a power, to something that's uncontrollable. I actually spoke to a priest. He's a very traditional priest now who in college knew a guy who had some kind of power over the Ouija board and people would flock to him in his college. It was a secular college. And whenever he touched it, it would respond the same way every time, like the thing will be moving on its own. So there's, it, it's a powerful tool. So if you look at it, it's just, you know, cardboard, ink and plastic on its own. It, it's nothing. But what it does is it, it, it uh, pushes you, calls you essentially to do something superstitious, to try to summon secret powers, summon the spirit world, tap into the spirit world. And that's when a demon can respond and start to manipulate the item you're holding. For some reason, a Ouija board caught on. It's been around. It's been called a talking board. It's been around since like the late 1800s, but was popularized, I think, around the 50s or 60s. And now it's everywhere in every like toy store. It's regarded as a mm -hmm. toy. But everybody knows how you play with the toy is dangerous. Well, they don't think it's dangerous, but they know it's a spiritual activity. So it's it's a prime form of conjuring spirits. So that's and it. 
the famous movie The Exorcist. The true story involved a boy who was using a Ouija board, and that's how he got possessed. So it's it's a real real dangerous tool. Okay, so what do you make of what's gone on in the church for the last decade or so? We've seen some very strange things. At first, when they had this light show on the Vatican, it was weird. I don't know if you recall it, but in addition to animals and all sorts of wildlife and whatever, there was these weird images. A lot of people at the time said that they were occult images. In fact, I had a New Age expert on the show who said, no, these are definitely New Age images that are being portrayed here on the wall of St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican. What do you make of that? Yeah, I never, I remember seeing it and the whole thing was just creepy. I think it happened on the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. It did indeed. Where the church went dark and then was hit by all these creepy images of nature or other like occultic images. I never did the research. I should go back and see about those occultic images. But it, it, so the answer, I don't have the answer as to why that's happening. Because a lot of things going on in the hierarchy now from doctrine to morals to occultic imagery is extremely alarming. But one of the things that the occult is doing that is intrinsic to the occult is it's a facade. It's a, it's a charade. It's a counterfeit. It's an, intended to deceive. It puts up a front of being pleasant, of being something else, of being um, ethereal, mystical, uh, seeking your true self, even like emphasizing nature. Wicca is a big one. Of course, they emphasize nature. And nature is okay in itself. But if you use it for evil purposes, then it becomes a tool of evil. So when they're mixing in all these strange images, the real red flag should go up because what, of when they're doing it and what they're doing it on. And then to find occultic images buried in those images should be expected because they're desecrating a sacred temple on a sacred feast. Um, mm. So they're not going to be putting up anything pleasant at that point because that's not how you celebrate our faith. Right. So have you seen... Uh much of what's gone on with regard to the Pachamama thing. Can you tell us about that in detail? Was that an uh, occultic practice? You know, at first, the way this rolled out was so weird. Uh, all sorts of apologists were about, oh, no, it's it's statues of Mary and Elizabeth, which I thought, well, that's really weird, because then you have a nude Mary and Elizabeth together, which would have been all sorts of offensive all by itself. Still didn't explain why uh, people in the Vatican gardens, including a priest, by the way, all in the sight of the Pope, were bowing down heads to the ground, kneeling, um, totally prostrate before these two, what appeared to everyone to be idols, lying on a blanket, if you will. Um, what did you make of that? Yeah, one of the priests I spoke to, um, I believe it's in this, this edition, The Rise of the Occult. He said, seeing a Franciscan in full habit bowing before a statue is the stuff of nightmares. And he's a very reasonable, um, grounded, rational, very smart priest. So, yeah, I remember everybody trying to explain away this thing. But it, it's an idol, like just like black and white. This is This is a carved, disturbing, strange image that resembles an earth deity. And it's being paraded and celebrated. Uh, in the Vatican, and even that bowl, there was some kind of bowl with some ornate drawings on it placed on the altar at St. Peter's with a plant growing out of it. And there's some true occult symbolism there and some mystery about what's actually in the bowl. And that doesn't belong to the altar anyway, but in the context, it's even more, you know, what are you doing? 
But then when the when the defense tried to come up, they kept doubling down on it. Like, yes, this is Pachamama. And they even printed a Pachamama coin. And then you had, um, I think uh, Bishop Athanasius Schneider wrote an article, maybe on LifeSite News, I can't remember, collecting Mm -hmm. statements from South American cardinals and bishops who were just livid about this. Like, yes, this is a demon. This is an earth-worshipping thing. This is destroying the people down here. And there's something called Pachamama Day. Um, I think it was in Peru. I can't remember what countries in South America where they offer sacrifices to this deity. And one of the sacrifices that was offered, it made the news um, quite far and wide of some man who was drugged at one of these festivals honoring Pachamama and they buried him alive. And thankfully he woke up, unearthed himself and went to the news and he was bloodied and dirty. And he said, he told people what happened. So Pachamama is a, uh, one of the exorcists I spoke to said, whenever you have a demon of fertility, which is what Pachamama is, you have a demon of death as well that goes with it. Hmm. So, and the, the repercu- repercussions are clear. Like uh, my book, Slaying Dragons, came out a week before that Senate in 2019. And I didn't, that Senate was not even on my radar. The timing was, was God's timing. But then you had the exorcist come out a couple of weeks after it happened. And you had Cardinal Burke come out. All these cardinals come out and say, this is idolatry. This was bad. Mm-hmm. This was evil. And the exorcists were saying it it essentially offered some kind of sacrifice to a demon and allowed a demon to have more power to work against the church. And of course, a couple of months later, you also had COVID where all the churches throughout the world shut down and even holy water, uh, the blessing over which possesses is supposed to be for healing. Holy water became dangerous. Don't go near holy Mm -hmm. water and put the COVID thing in it. So The whole thing together shows you this was not just some indigenous statue of Our Lady. Even looking at it, it's, it's disrespectful if that's what it was. And But the the fruit, you, you will know the tree uh, by its fruit. And I think the fruit yeah. is clear. The, the reason why this story changed, actually, is because uh, Pope Francis himself was caught on a hot mic saying that it was the Pachamama. So that's how the story changed <laughs> as, it, as it unfolded. Yeah. Um, yeah, incredible days. One of the things that then happened later... Pope Francis came to Canada, and um, this is 2022, and he was there visiting Canada, and they had an indigenous ceremony led by a shaman. Now, very strange stuff, as I said in the intro. Uh, we'll play a little clip of it. I will ask the east direction to open its door. I will ask the southern direction to open its door as well, to have have access to that direction. I will ask the western direction to open that door, the grandmother door. Honor the northern direction, the direction of grandfathers. I'll open the four directions. I will whistle four times. Before I do that, I'd like for you to put your hands on your heart, each one of you. The heart can be like a talking stick, but that's where the Creator put wisdom in humans. And we often need to remind ourselves of this. It's an important gesture to connect ourselves with that wisdom.
I asked the Western grandmother to give us access to the sacred circle of spirits. You know, as you can see, their hands on their chests, eyes closed at the shaman's bidding. He's, you know, blowing the bone whistle first, then then giving this incantation or whatever it is, calling on the Western grandmother to open the circle of spirits to come and join them there. So what do we say to this? Is this just, you know, is this just another religion and we're sort of participating in it? Is that okay? Or what in the world is this? Yeah, I think uh, as you were talking, I had a new image in my mind, you know, Vatican II, I think it was Nostra Tate, it confused everybody about uh, how we look at other religions. And then post-Vatican II, that confusion just skyrocketed. Then you had the Assisi peace thing from JP2 in the 80s. I don't know if Benedict did that as well. I can't remember. But it's like you had this, this error creep in post-Vatican II. And even Paul VI admitted that some preternatural force had come into the church, against the church, post-council. Like, I have that in my book, one of his quotes. So this error creeps in, and it just grows. In the in this age where the faith is d- diminishing, uh, the, the belief in the real presence is diminishing, going to confession is diminishing, everything's diminishing. The practice of the faith is going down. You have this error, this very dangerous error that has crept in, and people are celebrating it. More and more and more and more. So the more you celebrate the error that all the other religions have something to offer, the more you're going to let them speak. You're going to join with them. You're going to mix rituals into the mass, which we see all over the world happening. Indigenous rituals are welcomed, not everywhere, of course, because that would be just total apostasy. Um, But you have apostasy, and cardinals have called this out. And this is one form of it, because these are false religions, pagan religions. We know that all the deities of these other religions, all the energies they call upon are demons. It's not the true faith. It's not the true God. It's extremely dangerous. So why they're doing it is the is the mystery, maybe the mystery of iniquity, why it's happening is Mm -hmm. extremely disturbing. Uh, it's not okay. And exorcists, you know, despite what Francis and the other cardinals were doing, exorcists are coming out and say, look, sage smudging, which is what that Canadian elder was doing, burning sage, calling upon all these spirits, is getting people possessed, oppressed, afflicted by demons. Uh, it's, it's dangerous. I have a story in the second volume of this book coming up where someone had somebody burn sage in their home without their permission, and it, 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 the home became infested. But because they were practicing their faith well, the demon left with a little bit of show, but the demon left. But you have other Catholic mm-hmm. kids in Australia where they have a lot of Catholics going to Aboriginal sage smudging events who are having uh, nightmares, like diabolically inspired nightmares, sleep troubles, depression, that exorcists mm-hmm. have had to work with. So this this is evil, um, plain and simple, but what our Lord is allowing, why it's happening in the church right now, what the ultimate goal is, where this is headed, is, is the big question. Hmm. Indeed. So what have you seen of this in popular culture right now? And what do you warn people, parents particularly, about when their kids are watching TV or on the internet? Oh, yeah. Uh, Don't watch TV. Don't let your kids watch TV at all. Um, It's it's literally everywhere. So I interviewed 40 people um, for, I'll just hold up the, hold the book so people can get a picture of it. 40 people for this book. 16 former occultists, all kinds of occultists from new age to, I didn't interview any former Satanists, but people who were related to former Satanists, a a witch who was married to a Satanist. Um, He never converted, but she did. 
Um, so 16 former occultists, eight exorcists, seven parish priests, six families who have dealt with the occult, either from the parents being in it or the kids going off into it. And then a lot of other people sharing stories of run-ins with the occult. So the internet is one of the big culprits. There was one story where the kid was raised Catholic, good kid, went to college and accumulated some kind of wound. And this is the key. And this is in Slaying Dragons as well. Exorcists talk about our wounds are, are things the demons will latch onto and pour, pour salt on essentially and pull us away from God, make us despair, make us do more evil things. So she went off to college, accumulated this grave wound and then flipped. And part of the flip, she went towards mindfulness as a cure and then deep into witchcraft and all kinds of disgusting things and is essentially a whole different person now. But she would stay, her mom blamed the internet because most witch covens I've learned are virtual. There are some that meet in person, but yeah. so much of it is online. You look at which, uh, which YouTube influencers and they have 200,000, 400,000 very engaged subscribers. You can look at their, hmm. I watched some of those videos just to get some insights. You can look at the comments under those videos. Uh, it's very disturbing how active the witch community is, literature. So the phone, this girl I was talking about would stay up all night on her phone because she shared a room with her sister. They were both home temporarily. And she would see the glow and she's just like talking to her friends in this witch community. And then if you look at TikTok, TikTok is overrun with witchcraft, like the hashtag witch talk, hashtag uh, witches for BLM, all these different things. We've got billions of shares or views or however it works on witch on TikTok. You could just call it witch talk. It's essentially the same thing. If you, if you look at some studies on TikTok, it's so destructive to the youth. And then you infuse it with the occult. It's just an absolute disaster. And then the the culture, as far back as I don't know the '60s, if not further, has always had has had this fascination with the occult. And you see it more and more and more happening now. And then you have the Harry Potter thing, which can be debated the merits of it. But the point I always make, which I think is objective, um, which is clearly a problem, is that Harry Potter is a pro witchcraft novel that was introduced to a post Christian world where people are craving spirituality, but they're not getting it from the church. So like if I had been introduced to Harry Potter as a kid, it would have been a disaster because I was a nominal Catholic, didn't pray, didn't understand that, was curious about the occult. So the culture, TV, internet, it's it's set up against our kids. So they really need to be shepherded, guided, pull the plug on the TV, trim the internet as much as you can. It's really a diabolical ploy, kind of a mark of the beast thing that we need the internet so much, or we feel we do so much because it's so tainted and it's a, it's an uphill battle. It's a tremendous cross families and youth have to carry. With all that's going on in the world and the church today, it's actually critical for us to devote time to prayer and retreat as our Lord did in the gospels. Now there are perhaps few better ways to do so than to take a pilgrimage and follow in the very footsteps of Jesus Christ himself on a journey through the Holy Land. LifeSite News is proudly sponsored by the Franciscan Foundation of the Holy Land, which is now offering a rare opportunity to elevate your faith. Join Father Peter F. Vasco, a Franciscan priest and native, to the region for nearly 40 years as he guides you through the heart of the Holy Land on a 10-day tour through Israel. Watch the Bible come to life as you visit sacred holy sites, walk the ancient streets of Jerusalem, visit the Nativity Church built over the Grotto of Jesus' birth, pray in the Upper Room at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and much, much more. 
For information on this outstanding opportunity, visit the Franciscan Foundation for the Holy Land at www.ffhl.org. That's www.ffhl.org. Or call 855-500-3345. That's 855-500-3345. And now, back to the program. So what are your um, best solutions, best tips for parents, for families, for anyone struggling with this, you know, confronted with it, have it in their past, wondering now after hearing this, oh, what do I do? I used a Ouija board before. What does that mean for me? Yeah. So um, one of the things I learned, because I talked to some of the exorcists and for both books, you know, Slaying Dragons and now The Rise of the Occult, is that the emphasis is placed on the power of grace and grace so grace can cure all of our wounds, spiritually speaking, even some of our physical wounds, but we need to remove the obstacles. So there's two things. We need to tap into grace as God has willed for it to flow through the Catholic Church, through the sacraments, and through the sacramentals, through the life of prayer and humility. But we also need to remove the obstacles. So if we've done, played with Ouija boards, or if you were into Wicca or something as a kid, um, you need to repent for that. You need to take those things to confession because those are mortal sins. And perhaps you've moved on from it. This is one of the things a former occultist said. He strongly rejected and flipped and became Catholic, rejected the occult and flipped. But a lot of people that he was with just stopped practicing, never rejected the occult. And he said their lives are still ruined because they've never made a break from the occult. So we have to think back, like, have I ever gone to a psychic because I lost my kid and I was so dis despairing and I wanted to talk to him. And then I forgot about it. You know, that was decades ago. I, I heard that from a priest who was teaching in RCIA and there were some Catholics there and the Catholics heard him talking about psychics and like, whoa, wait a second. We did that about 10 years ago when our son died. So they had to go to confession. But so that that's the key. Hmm. Dig up from your past these evil things you've done, remember them and take them to confession then make sure none of these occultic mindsets are still lingering. A lot, a lot of times we keep with us superstitious ways of thinking. We don't even realize it because our faith is not deep enough. We don't trust God completely. We trust ourselves more. We trust the material world too much. We're too materialistic. That's one of the curses on, you know, this country, the, the first world as a whole. So, so those, that's the, the um, beginning advice I would give. If you, if you can, Charles, give us an example of that, which you're just talking about. Yeah, so superstition is, there, there are different kinds of superstition. One kind of superstition is like a rabbit's foot. It has no power. Hmm. It's just silly. Another kind of superstition is the corruption of right worship. So the misuse of holy water or the misuse of the scapular, that's a big one, that people think if I keep the scapular on me at all times, I'm going to be fine. I'll go to heaven. But all the while they sin. So it's a corruption of what God has revealed or is seeking something that God has not revealed. But also occultic ways of thinking is like um, if you think, um, kind of, so one of the goals of the occult is to deify ourselves. So if we think, if we think of ourselves, so pride is kind of an occultic way of thinking. If I think I can will, I can make something happen. I can make my life better without God's help, which spins over into what's called manifesting. So manifesting is this extremely widespread practice where it's essentially the deification of the will. You can will things to change in the world. 
um, it, you manifest the change you want to see. And it somehow deals with energy and the universe contriving with you. But there are also certain kinds of corruptions of, of Christian practice that uh, Protestants get into a lot, Catholics too, where you they misunderstand what our Lord says. Like um, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move. And then they essentially think that they can control God by telling God you want something, believing it enough, then he's going to do it. And you're going to you're going to almost mix that with manifesting like my faith is going to cause it separate from God's action. So uh, an antidote is humility. Everything's about humility. That's why Our Lady is, is humble and Satan is proud and they clash and Our Lady always wins. Because if we're humbly accepting what God wants to send us crosses or blessings, then we will avoid control, which feeds into these occultic mentalities that that are out there. What. Um... In terms of feedback, I wanted to mention, first of all, your book is endorsed by both Bishop Schneider and Bishop Strickland. I can't think of better endorsements for anything in my life. But anyway, I um, wanted to hear from you what some of the feedback uh, that you've received. What have people appreciated your books for? Yeah, so uh, both of them. So I'll just hold up the other one um, since I held up so Slaying Dragons and The Rise of the Occult are getting very similar reactions. Of course, the Slaying Dragons has been out for over three years now. It has It's spread internationally. If you go on Amazon, it has over, over a thousand, mainly five-star reviews, which is great. It's three bishop endorsements. Um, but one of the things people are benefiting from these books is what I benefited from, especially with Slaying Dragons, is so much essential wisdom is hidden from us. But the exorcists they're the go-tos and everybody sees that more and more and more now if you look like it's not just me i'm not the only one who sees the exorcists the ones to go to because in their ministry they are taking the power of the sacraments all of them and the sacramentals and channeling them by counsel and by practice into the lives of the people who are afflicted and against demons and they see they see the reaction so i like to say exorcists see behind the veil when they start an exorcism, the demon has to respond to the power of Christ flowing through the, the exorcist, flowing through the church by the name of Jesus with against holy water, stoles, crucifixes, the invocation of the saints. And the exorcists see it. And then, then they go on camera and they're like, you guys, you know, this is real. This really works. This really helps. So people are, this is the light bulb moment, I think, for the church, for the church militant. We're finally clued in based on their teachings. They're, they're alerting us. But it's also requiring people to dig, to dig and find these hidden treasures because the church has allowed so much of this sacred wisdom, sacred teachings, grace to be hidden, to be lost. So as people uncover it, they're experiencing healing. They're experiencing understanding, uh, power. Like I experienced the same thing. It's just a transformation of my spiritual life by really practicing spiritual warfare the way the church has always taught it. Now, of course, with, with the rise of the occult, so the, the end of Slaying Dragons mentioned the occult uh, briefly. And then I pick up with that in, um, in the second book, Slaying Dragons 2, The Rise of the Occult, because it's, it's here and we can fight it. And one of the things that's great about the book, about The Rise of the Occult, is that former occultists, almost all of the ones I interviewed, which is a small sample population, but I pulled from a lot of different uh, references of people who were sending these people to me, they gravitated to the traditional Latin mass. They gravitated to the traditional Roman ritual, to all the traditions, ember days, processions, sacramentals. They love it. They want it. They want a rich spiritual life. And that's what the traditional church provides. 
And that's where the power that an exorcist like, yes, I agree. Even exorcists that aren't um, was one I spoke to who does not do the traditional Latin mass. He goes, I get it. I know exactly why they gravitate to the traditional Latin mass. And he doesn't even offer it himself. Hmm. So it's it's all of this. This power is just kind of latent. It's here and it's being it's being um, covered over by this occultic curiosity that's creeped into the crept into the whole world and into the church. So you have right now this mysterious crushing of the traditional Latin mass, the traditional Roman ritual. So the same time. So there's this uh, th this war that we are really in, but we do have weapons like I, I end the book, The Rise of the Occult on, on the church is the great liberator, uh, how Catholics can help um, and um, the power of God. Like those are some of the names of the last chapters of that book, because I see it. I saw it in the lives of these former occultists, just grace really changing them, God reaching them. And we need that, too, because we're only one step away. You know, we're, we have a fallen nature. We're sinful. We're only a couple steps away from abandoning Christ ourselves if we're not careful. So we have to be careful and humble and prudent. And then we will we will have the peace we're all looking for. And occultists will find it as well through the church. Hello, friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 of these brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Now, each round is stamped with the image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, LifeSite's logo surrounded by a brilliant sunburst and draped with olive branches. They, of course, commemorate our 25-year anniversary of LifeSite News. We began in 1997 in September, so September of 2022 was 25 years. These one-ounce silver rounds are available from our partners at stjosephspartners.com, where you can fulfill all of your silver and gold needs in this perilous time. May God bless you. Charles, last question for you. A lot of people are now getting more into, I think it's largely because of Father Ripperger's work, um, but these prayers of deliverance for the laity what do you make of those? Um, there are some traditional Catholics, I think, particularly, who are kind of wary of that because they've not heard it before. Um, and is some, you know, is this some newfangled thing, or what is this? What's your take? Yeah, that's a good question. So that's uh, Father Ripperger's uh, deliverance prayers for use by the laity. And so first about Father Ripperger, he was the first exorcist I was told about um, back in 2017 when I started this process of spiritual renewal. I was trying to figure out something was missing in my life. I didn't know what it was. And they pointed me towards exorcists. So I watched his videos first and that really was the spark. But there are a lot of things or a lot of things. So one of the things about this, this prayer book, I have a copy. I sell it on my website, slayingdragonspress.com. When I, when I go to conferences, I have a small batch that I try to sell too. But I've never really explored it to the, the full book. And I've heard the, the criticisms too, the wariness, like what is this? There are a lot of things I've heard about um, those prayers that I don't understand. So what I've decided to do is just take the good and ignore the questionable because, you know, there are limitations to my intellect and to my knowledge of history. So I'm just going to leave those there. They're not dangerous. I'm not going to focus on them. I'm not going to do those prayers. I'm going to do the ones that make sense, like the Litany of the Precious Blood, St. Michael, uh, all the traditional devotions. Um, the breastplate of, of St. Patrick and simple binding prayers, because those worked. Binding prayers have worked for me. I've seen it. They've worked for other people. So I would leave, like if it doesn't make sense to you, if it's not appealing to you or to the to a Catholic who's listening to this, then just don't don't go after it. Don't don't burden yourself. One exorcist said that 
some people who go after that book and those prayers are can get into a little bit of OCD. I'm like, I can see that, you know, like praying about every single thing that might come up and just getting a little bit obsessive instead of relaxing in the power of God's grace. And that's one of the things we need to realize that God's grace is easy for a devout Catholic to tap into and it will flow. And he knows what we want before we even ask him. So we need to, to rest, rest assured in the power of the church triumphant working through us, the power of the church, grace flowing through the sacraments, and um, not get too hung up on it, I guess, is what I would say. So I, I don't heavily recommend the book and all these prayers, but I understand why they are helpful to people. Excellent. Charles Frowney, thank you for joining us. Tell us where can we find your books? Yeah, so um, my website is slayingdragonspress.com. And you can find all my books. I have five. I have a couple others. So if you go there, you'll see those. But um, it's also on Amazon. Slaying Dragons is pretty much everywhere now. It's a pretty widespread in distribution. The Rise of the Occult is on uh, Amazon and on my website mainly right now because it's only been out since uh, March 25th. But slayingdragonspress.com. Awesome. Charles Finally, thank you so much for joining us and uh, doing the hard work of digging so that you can warn uh, your fellow Christians, your fellow Catholics, about the reality of spiritual warfare. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.